friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Greetings, Tomb Believers. You're here for another episode of Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm Trey Lawson, and with me as always is James Hickson. Spider-Man! <laughs> he was so good, Trey, so pure. Why did they take him away? Spider-Man's <laughs> not going away. He just don't he just won't get to interact with any of the other characters that we know and love no it's not now james james it's not like spider-man won't have crossovers anymore i for one am very much looking forward to a maximum carnage movie now james you know gravely won't allow us to do that let me do it i don't want to live anymore come on james it's going to be okay give me the Come on now, so, no, no, Sony. Sony no. has made good Spider-Man movies before. No, Spider Sam Spider me made good Spider-Man movies. Right, but Sony was a part of that. Are they going to bring Sam Raimi back? You know, honestly, he actually he keeps talking in interviews about all of the things he wished he could have done in a Spider-Man 4. Like, it sounds like he still really wants to make another Spider-Man movie. They would... It would not be a bad thing to at least take a meeting with him to see if, if nothing else, if he wants to produce. Because lately he's done more producing than directing anyway. But, like, it would be kind of interesting to have someone like Sam Raimi shepherding Spider-Man into the next phase of his cinematic existence. And it's not like they... No one has talked to, like, Tom Watts at all, it seems. No. So he's just going ahead like, oh, yeah, we still got him. And Watts is like, what? Huh? Right. Right. I didn't sign anything saying that. Right. And the only one who 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 they definitely still have is Tom Holland. Right. Right. Who is kind of like... is It's like that fan art you see of them dragging Spider-Man away from the Avengers. Yeah. That's what it feels like here. Yeah. Now, granted, um, Tom Holland finally put out a statement uh, directly addressing things today. Uh, he he was interviewed at the of all places the D twenty three event, um, and uh, and he said uh, to Entertainment Weekly, "quote uh, It's been it's been five amazing years. I've had the time of my life." Who knows what the future holds? But all I know is I'm going to continue playing Spider-Man and having the time of my life. It's going to be so fun however we choose to do it. The future for Spider-Man will be different, but it will be equally as awesome and amazing, and we'll find new ways to make it even cooler. Spider-Man! <laughs> but just think, now he can cameo in Morbius. Give me the fucking gun, tray. <laughs> I, I do think that there is still room for a good Spider-Man movie, shared universe, whatever. 
it, it's a tricky needle to thread, but it's not impossible. Now, is Sony the company to do that? Who knows? Maybe not. No. But but there is still potential there. And of course, the way Kevin Feige st- said in his statement sounds very final. Yeah. Uh, Feige said he was feeling about Spider-Man gratitude and joy. He added, we got to make five films within the MCU with Spider-Man, two standalone films and three with the Avengers. It was a dream that I never thought would happen. It was never meant to last forever. We knew there was a finite amount of time that we'd be able to do this, and we told the story we wanted to tell, and I'll always be thankful for that. Yeah. That sounds kind of final. Yeah, I mean, hey, there's there's always there's always the chance that if not a deal like this, something could happen in the future. Someday, uh, Disney might have something that Sony really wants and they can make some sort of trade. It's just right now, with Spider-Man being probably the most valuable thing that Sony has as far as movies, um, I don't see Disney being able to have any sort of offer that would make that trade possible. But part of the reason for that is because... Spider-Man was part of this huge MCU thing. I mean, let's be honest, Trey. Amazing Spider-Man 2 tanked. It did. It did. It tanked hard. It did. And part of that was that they rushed it out. And part of it was that, especially the second one, suffered immensely from uh, sort of executive interference. You know? Yeah, the thing that Sony is fucking horrible at. Yeah. Legendary yeah. for, in fact. Legendarily horrible at. Yeah. For. Whatever. I can't even... Ugh, I can't even think. I will say uh, someone posted, mostly as a joke, the other day, uh, an idea that I think would be hilarious. I don't think that uh, Disney would get away with it, but it would be hilarious. Um, and that would be... Uh, in a future Deadpool movie to have one of the MCU characters walk in and uh, walk into Deadpool's uh, house that he uh, shares with, uh, what's her name, Blind Al. Um, And uh, Tom Holland is sitting there on the sofa, not as Peter Parker, but as himself. Uh, And and, uh, the MCU character refers to him as Peter and, and Deadpool's like, no, 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 don't call him that. He's in Spider-Man Witness Protection Program. <laughs> oh. And then Tobey Maguire walks in from the other room. Uh, I honestly think my ner- the nerves are too raw for me to find that funny right now. But, uh, I don't know. I On the plus side, yeah. um, we did get, I presume, the announcement that Dracula will be joining the MCU. I am very into that. I missed that announcement, but that sounds awesome. I can only assume he's going to be the villain in the Moon Knight series. That is possible. Because, you know, he's got his fucking money. (laughs) I don't know where that meme came from. (laughs) Fucking nerd. (laughs) Like, I don't know where that meme came from. Have you seen the sequel meme? Yes. (laughs) Where he's contacting the Avengers? Yes. I never actually read any Moon Knight. <gasps> I, I was too busy reading Spider-Man. I actually have one of the crossovers where Moon Knight and Spider-Man team up, which will never happen in the MCU. Uh... That actually happens more than once in the comics. 
salt in my wounds. I'm sorry. You know, I, I I really hope they work something out. That's all. I'll yeah, say. and and, and really... again, like this is this is the current status quo. At some point, Sony will need something, you know, that Disney will be able to offer them in exchange for, if not outright ownership, then at least borrowing the character again. I mean, they have the truck. Mm-hmm. They have the truck of money. They do, but by the same token, I don't like. I. Like, yes, I would like Disney to be able to get the rights to Spider-Man back. I don't necessarily want Disney to eat all of Sony. No, I don't. Okay, I agree that Disney should not own Sony. Monopolies are a bad Right, like we're getting to a point where Disney is just buying up all the studios. But I honestly don't think a 50-50 deal on Spider-Man films is a bad idea. I, I can see from Sony's point of view where they would think it would be. Like, I I think the 5% that they had was not enough. But I feel like there had to be a middle ground there. Because really, like like I said, Spider-Man is basically the, the only big franchise Sony has besides... Like, I guess they still make the James Bond movies. Although those are not the, the revenue generators they used to be. Because they haven't put one out in, like, ten years. It's... Shit, has it actually been ten years? No, it's not been ten years. How long has it been? Um, for James Bond? Yeah. Like, four years, maybe. Spectre was... Wait. Spectre was 2015. Oh, that's right. I didn't see Spectre. So I forgot it existed. It's divisive. I thought it was fine. But a lot of people hated it. Okay. But, I don't know. Sony, we know you listen to the show. Please work something out. Yeah, I mean, all all we really want is for, like, the, the payoff for Endgame and even Far From Home is Spider-Man sort of coming into his own as a hero. And part of that was, like, the promise of him sort of feeling like he's earned being an Avenger, for real. Yeah. And I really don't see how they're going to resolve that cliffhanger without him being part of the MCU. Um, I, I think you can. I, I think it just, it take, it ne- it necessarily takes the story in a different direction than it would have if it was part of the MCU. And they can't even reference the MCU, so they can't right. reference Tony Stark. Like, the thing that, that makes me saddest is no more John Favreau as happy. Yes. Because he was such a good part of those movies. Yes. Especially Far From Home. Like, John Favreau is, like, the unsung hero of Far From Home. I work for Spider-Man. I'm dating Spider-Man's aunt. (laughs) I guess that's not going anywhere. Nope. I guess it was a summer fling after all. Yup. Sorry, Happy. Yep. (sighs) Uh, But yeah, it's... 
unfortunate news. It sucks also that like it all came out around D23, which is otherwise like this awesome like parade of cool stories about Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar and all that. Yeah, we're recording this on the Saturday of D23, the big um, announcement day of D23. Honest to goodness, guys, this could have changed by the time this episode comes out on Wednesday. For sure. Like, things are developing as we speak, um, so keep that in mind. Uh, we're, we're just sort of... We hope they do, honestly. Yeah, but we're talking cause... about things as they stand right now. Literally a few minutes before we recorded was when uh, those statements from Feige and Holland uh, were posted to the internet. Yep. But yeah, so I may be losing Spider-Man, but you gain Moon Knight. Sure. Where were you, Trey, when you learned about the Moon Knight series? I was um, putting together a set of DVD shelves. Oh yeah, they look really nice in the corner over there. <laughs> um and uh and immediately dropped what i was doing literally dropped the the shelf that i was holding um and uh um i actually uh transcribed the exact words that came out of my mouth um well well how 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 did you learn oh about um it? so both you um and uh a uh uh, a uh, fellow traveler in comics and film stuff, Brendan Foley, uh, who is the creator of the Black Sun uh, podcast on uh, Cinepunks. Um, both both of you contacted me almost simultaneously. Um, and uh, I was I was pretty blown away. Um, I, I like I say, I tweeted the exact words that came out of my mouth um and uh this is from as we speak 23 hours ago um i said moon mother flipping night y'all the god dang fist of khonshu freaking protector of night travelers hell yeah And we're also getting a She-Hulk series. Which is also cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I liked that. Yes, I, I put the little heart button there. So, yeah. I really hope they use the uh, Dan Slot series as a basis for that. Yeah, the Dan Slot run was very good. Um, and and managed to keep sort of the, the meta cheekiness of the burn run, but without being quite so creepy. John Byrne creepy? No. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, so She-Hulk, that's going to be fun. Uh, I, I guess those rights are separate somehow from the regular Incredible Hulk rights because, you know, part of the reason that there hasn't been a solo Incredible Hulk movie since the Edward Norton movie um, is because that character, the solo rights to that character are technically still held by Universal. Makes sense. Um, Marvel can put him in team stuff because he is an original Avenger, um, but they can't do solo stuff. 
it was okay to have him in Thor Ragnarok because he was teaming up with other, other right. heroes. Right. It was it was not an incredible Hulk movie. And I guess it'd be fine for him to be in She-Hulk because he's teaming up with She-Hulk. I would I would imagine so. Honestly, you know what I would love for a She-Hulk series? Uh uh I mean, in addition to I really want the sort of wacky meta-ness of the the dance lot run. But I also really hope they bring back, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Tim Blake Nelson as the leader. Oh. Like, they teased that in the Edward Norton movie. Like, he started to transform. Ooh, that would be nice. That would work really well, because they did tease it, and then everything, nothing ever came from nope, it. Nope, nope, that character never came up again. Oh. That'd be really cool. Yep. And they love calling back to things that, you know, they didn't really touch before. Right. And and that gives you, like, I mean, aside from the Abomination, which they've already done, the leader is, like, the Hulk villain. And if there's not going to be a Hulk solo movie, you might as well put him in a uh, She-Hulk story. Yeah. Also, I just really want to see a live-action version of his, like, ridiculously large head. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know i just i really love the design of the leader it, it's like it, it's like someone took sinestro painted him mm-hmm. painted him green and then like put his head in a taffy puller <laughs> yeah my first introduction to the character was like the early 90s portrayal like during the peter david run oh, was that when he had like he... The, the cylindrical head the really veiny one. Oh yeah 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 i gotcha Yep. The really veiny, like, <laughs> oh my god, that's hideous head. Yeah. Okay. See, my introduction to him was through the uh, 90s cartoon, which was very much a classic look. Okay. Like, it was, like he had, like, the very tall cylindrical head, but it was just solid green. Because, like, the first issue of the Hulk that I got was, like, this really holographic cover oh of course it was because of course i came up in the 90s right yep it was incredible hulk 400 okay so you've got um the hulk and the leader fighting over i think marlo okay and marlo is in a crystal cocoon type thing mm-hmm and of cor- course, the cocoon type thing is holographic. Oh yeah, yeah. It's foil. It was issue four hundred, and it was really shiny. <laughs> well, anytime you've got like a nice big even number like that, it's going to be extra shiny. So of course, being a seven year old boy, I bought it. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. Like the first Hulk comic I ever got was also in the nineties. Um, I don't remember what number it was but it was um it was one where hulk is hulk and hercules are fighting for some reason um okay and it keeps jumping back and forth between hercules in conflict with the hulk and then like in classic myth hercules in con in conflict with other monsters like um i think the hydra and uh um 
the the centaur that that in in myths actually ends up uh like severely wounding him with a poisoned arrow like it, it it a lot of it went over my head because it was my very first hulk comic and it didn't match up at all with what i knew of the hulk because it was mostly a hercules story i hope we get hercules in the mcu soon that would be fun like especially i feel like that would be like the danger is you don't want people saying oh he's just like thor light yeah um, I think he might be a good place to go once Chris Hemsworth decides, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, but but I feel like you do have to find a different enough tone that it doesn't feel like you're just redoing the character. Unless they just acknowledge, oh, he's like Thor. Right. He is Thor, but Greek. Done. Yeah, I could, I could easily imagine that being like a Don Cheadle line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, like, you know... I mean, this guy's strong and all, but do we really think he could, you know, like, replace Thor? Huh. More beer, mortals! Oh, yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> I also feel like, uh, as far if you're doing a solo story with him, your way in is making the audience point of view character Amadeus Cho. Ooh. Like, have Amadeus Cho and Kirby the wolf. Hmm. Speaking of Avengers joining the MCU, yeah. So, also a few hours ago, it was announced officially that Kurt Harrington of Game of Thrones fame will be joining the Eternals cast as Black Knight, which is fascinating because the, it it had been said for a while that Black Knight was being considered for a movie, but somehow, like at at one point, it was being like referred to as a Black Knight solo movie, which sounded like a weird prospect. I mean, yes, I am not the biggest. Like, I, I've not read a lot of stuff with Black Knight in it. Like, that's not really my era of Avengers. But it always struck me as odd that that character would get a solo movie. He's a cool character. I gotta say, like, I'm an Avengers fanboy, so of course I like Black Knight. But he's always been like I've never been quite clear on his history. Yeah. But he's always been cool when he's shown up. He is he is very much like Hawkeye, but with a sword. Yeah, I mean that that seems that seems accurate. I always associate him, and this may not even be the right era, but he's kind of on the same tier of Avengers as like Jack of Hearts. No, he was. There was an era where he was on the team with Jack of Hearts. Like, like both of those guys. Like, I I think of them as like Avengers of a certain era, but they're not characters that I would ever think of. Like, oh, that's someone I I would expect to read a solo story of. Well, I definitely when I think of him, I my first thought is of the Steve Epting drawn leather jacket version with a lightsaber. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which actually, you know, despite how derided the leather jacket Avengers get was actually a really fun run I, of Avengers. I, I'll tell you, I am a sucker for a team book where every member of the team has a matching jacket. Like, I, I love that. Interestingly enough, uh, one of his teammates on that team, and his lover at the time, was Cersei of the Eternals, who was also revealed would be the main character of the upcoming Eternals movie. Right, and that that makes this make sense. Because I even asked you when the announcement happened, like... Is, is this weird that Black Knight is in this movie? And you reminded me, no, they were a thing. Like, that, that, is, that, is, that is something that they could do in the movie, is, is make that connection. Yeah, their, their relationship was a big 
foil for that era of the Avengers. And it's announced that playing Cersei in the upcoming Eternals movie will be Gemma Chan, Crazy Rich Asians fame. Yes. And interestingly enough, she was also in Captain Marvel. Yes. Uh, she was... Uh, um, Minerva. Yes, Minerva. Which I guess means we will not be seeing much of Minerva anymore. Probably not. I think she was minor enough of a character in the first one to be that no one will notice, hey, this blue-faced chick is in this Eternals movie now. But I think if she were to show up again in Captain Marvel, people would be like, wait a minute. What's Cersei doing here? Yeah, especially since she's the big name of this movie. Right. Especially because Marvel is talking a lot about Kit Harington being in this movie. So I'm thinking Dane Whitman will kind of be like, our token human mm-hmm. in this story. Like he's going to be the guy who's like, whoa, this is crazy. What's going on? Yes. And he finds the Eternals and probably through some machinations of the movie gets an, gets the Ebony Blade. Right. Or, well, depending on what version they're doing. Um, because he's changed weapons a few times over the years. Yes. Um, he had the ebony blade at one time. He had the neural sword. That was the lightsaber you were talking about. Yeah. Um, at one point, he had uh, the sword of light and the shield of night. Yeah, that was when he was with Heroes of Hire, which is a really fun era. Yeah. Um, that that was a that was just a fun era. There was of Heroes there was of a Hire time when it. he had a photonic shield, like Cap did for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um. Or I probably forgot it, actually. But, uh, I probably knew it and forgot it. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, really... See, again, not really my era of Avengers so much. Um, I, I I kept thinking that what would make sense would be Black Knight as a member of uh, MI-13. Um, doing a Captain Britain type story. He might still be. He could be. They, they, they could build to that. There's been talk of a Captain Britain something or other. So, um, Although, speaking of Captain Britain... One of the other things announced that got maybe a little bit less uh, press than the Moon Knight series is they did show off some artwork of Peggy Carter yeah. as the Super Soldier recipient. Yep, as, uh, as Captain Carter. Captain Carter, yeah, but she's got a Union Jack on her shield. Yeah, that that's cool. I like it. It, looks, it was really good, and I sent it to my cousin, who was a big... Uh, Peggy Carter fan. She's like, yes. <laughs> of course, uh, the the character that I would most want out of MI thirteen besides uh, besides Captain Britain uh, would be uh, that we get a an MCU version of Pete Wisdom. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, hold up. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yep. And that leads us to a Captain Britain movie, right? I would think so. Um, yes. The other character that I would want is uh, uh, Faiza Hussein, uh, codename Excalibur. Uh, I remember her. Yeah, she was only in uh, Captain Britain and MI-13 by Paul Cornell. Um, an amazing series. It's great. I have almost an entire run of it. Uh, oh, Remember who was the big bad of the first series of that? Uh, it was Dracula, wasn't it? It was Dracula. Oh, because he has a moon base. Yep. 
Dracula had a moon base. That is what the MCU needs, is Dracula with a moon base and a giant cannon launching vampires to Earth. Oh, fuck, Trey. Trey. What? What if the big bad of Phase 4... Is Dracula? Is Dracula! With a moon base? With a moon base! I'd be down for that. I'm so down for this! Um, Just as a reminder... um. Blade also um, is a member of MI13. Yep, he because is because he's British. Yep. Uh, for those who are for those who are not aware, MI13 um, is a Marvel organization, sort of like Shield, but it's British. So you know you've got MI5, which is sort of their FBI. You've got MI6, which is sort of their CIA. MI13 is their like weird mystic stuff division. Yeah. Um, so like all of the fae and fairies and and uh, trolls and all that stuff. Yep. But it also deals with alien incursions. True. And vampires. Yes. Well, of course. As you do. Yeah. Um. But anyway, that it's a really fantastic, short-lived series uh, by Paul Cornell, um, that spun out of, um. A lot of it really owes its uh, origins to when Warren Ellis was doing Excalibur. Trey. Yeah. Trey. Yeah. Moon Knight on the moon fighting Dracula. Oh, man. For his goddamn money. You know what? You know what this desperately calls for, though? What? Man Wolf. <laughs> Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I think I broke James again. Um we we should probably take a break and and uh figure out uh how to move forward from from the the Spider-Man news. Uh we are looking at a few comics today which are a lot of fun. We've got Tomb of Dracula number 12. Um Werewolf by Night, number nine. And uh, for the first time on this show, we're looking at Strange Tales, number 169, which features the introduction of Brother Voodoo. Um, But uh, I'm going to try avoiding the S-word for a little bit, and uh, we're going to be right back. Hey, Ray. Yes, Connor? What's black and white and red all over? Huh. A newspaper? Not even close. Hmm. Uh, sunburnt zebra? What are you doing, Ray? (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. A weekly podcast coming to you from the High Priest of Khonshu. Available on all good podcast catchers. Saturday at 1.30, see lots of familiar faces in the house that drips blood. Take a look at him right now. Do you know this man? Colin, don't put that on. You're turning to a vampire. He was the third Doctor Who. <laughs> Who? We love your film so much. We wanted you to become one of us forever. Welcome to the club. Yes, join her Saturday at 1.30 for the house that dripped. Lady fingers. 
Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. My name is James Hickson. Our first comic this episode is Tomb of Dracula number 12, released on September 1973. Title of the story is Night of the Screaming House. Writer is Marv Wolfman. Penciler is Gene Colan. Inker is Tom Palmer. Colorist is Petra Goldberg. Letter, John Costanza. Editor is Roy Thomas. The fearless vampire hunters, Frank Drake, Rachel Van Helsing, Quincy Harker, and Taj have come upon the fiendish Dracula in the midst of his stalking of the young woman in an alley. Thwarted by the stalkers, Dracula takes Harker's daughter, Edith, as a hostage, giving the aged hunter an address where he may retrieve her, if he dares. Inside the house known as Whispering Hell, Harker and his team are taunted from the shadows by the King of Vampires, whose tricks and traps force the team to split up like the Scooby Gang. While alone in the house, Frank is easily taken by surprise by the vampire hunter Blade, who the Lord of Vampires has also invited to the house, seemingly hoping to eliminate all his foes in a single night. The two team up and Blade sa saves Drake from an ambush with Black Widow spiders. Once Dracula decides to attack more directly, Blade manages to drive him off by slashing his face with a wooden knife. Sadly, once the Vampire Lord has departed, the team discovers that the damage is already done, as he has transformed Edith into one of the undead. The young woman begs for release from the curse, and the team swears vengeance as Harker is forced to stake his own beloved daughter. This might be my favorite Tomb of Dracula that we've had in a while. Maybe, well, I, I guess, was it two issues ago that Blade was introduced? Yeah. So This is 12. He was this, introduced in 10. Yeah, so I liked this one at least as much as that one. Yes. I don't know where to start with this one. <laughs> yeah, well, um, first off, I just, this seems to be a trope that was, I don't know, popular in the 60s and 70s of, like, the villain luring the hero to a mansion that has been filled with booby traps. Okay. Um, this, like, basically the same sort of thing happens in uh, Journey into Mystery uh, number 110 uh, with Thor, where I, uh, I, which I know about this because I was listening to Make Ours Marvel. Um, okay, I know the issue you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read this like, one. Like, sort of the same idea like they lure the hero to a a mansion that is filled with traps um also in dc like this happened to batman a lot in this era um of being like lured to some sort of uh mansion or castle that was filled with death traps um okay so i don't know it's interesting in that it's sort of following some super villain tropes that we haven't really seen from dracula up to this point no Although, I do think it's a little bit hokey that he releases a bunch of Black Widow spiders like a Bond villain in Doctor No. I, I agree. That That's probably the, the silliest, most comic book villainy thing that he does. Like, um, they, they, they're literally tilting them out of, like, a plastic container. Right, right. Like, it's not like he conjures them with his mystic powers. No, it, it's like they, they trip a switch and, and it releases a cage of spiders. No, it's not even. It's not even that. If you look. Oh yeah, he's literally on. just like dumping them out of a, a box. Yes, he is dumping them out of a box. That's it's almost like Scooby Doo levels yeah. of. Well, I'm not gonna lie. Um, 
my my first thought upon uh, starting this issue and looking at the first couple pages, like my initial re- reaction was, "Oh, cool! The Scoobies are back." <laughs> yes, because it has been a while since we've seen this team together. They've kind of been operating in the background while Dracula goes out and does his thing. Yeah, and and honestly. It's kind of nice getting to see them work as a team at least a couple of times in the issue. Yeah. Um, and we finally get to see uh, the net in action. Yes. Finally getting to see the net. And it's somewhat effective. Yeah, it stops some of the some of the bats. Right. Um, it is also weird that like um, the the captions, make it clear that the bats are, like, shredding Rachel's face. Yeah. But when we see her later, she's fine. She's, yeah, mostly fine. I mean, there's one panel where you can see scratches and and marks, but by the end of the issue, they're not there anymore. No. She appears to have wiped them off, actually. Uh, And let's be honest, you know, a skin wound like that can feel more painful than it actually is. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, the the caption is probably overstating it. You know, like it makes it sound like she's going to be permanently injured or something. I, I am, I am, because I don't think when we see her later that she'll have all those, like, she'll be heavily scarred. Right. Well, like I say, even by the end of this issue, there's, like, the last good close-up we get of her, there are no longer scratches on her face. That's good. And, uh... Blade's kind of awesome in this issue. Blade is really awesome in this issue. All and also he seems to have a lady in his I life. know. Uh yeah, uh Saffron. S- Saffron, yep. Like the rice. I love her right. rice. <laughs> um but yeah, he he's got kind of a a hip lifestyle going on with like the looks like shag carpeting and We've got a martini and yeah and then the phone rings yep and here's the thing dracula would have succeeded if he hadn't gotten arrogant and invited blade along oh yeah because uh his his hokey plan to pour out the black widow spiders down the hallway would have worked if not for blade yes also one more thing about the spiders those are freaking huge black widows yeah they are yeah, they are. A Black Widow is, like, the size, like, it's a, about an inch and a half. I know, because I grew up in the country, and I've seen real Black Widows in the wild. Oh, sure. Me, yeah, yeah. The, they're, they're, they're tiny. Yeah, they're tiny. Terrifying, but tiny. Because that, that's sort of a rule of thumb with, with bugs like that, is the smaller they are, the more deadly they probably are. Actually, I think their small size does kind of make them more terrifying. Yeah. Because they could hide in your fucking shoe. Yep. Yep. But no, these things are like the size of my palm. Yeah, they, they look like tarantulas. They do. They, they, they look like tarantulas. But uh, anyway, he, he yeah, Blade is the one that saves uh, Frank from the Black Widow spiders. Yep. Although, um, Taj does equip himself well early in the episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I really like the bit where... Uh, where he jumps on Dracula, Dracula turns into a bat to fly away, and Todd just doesn't let go. Yep. 
To the point where he forces Dracula down because he's too damn heavy. Yep. Which, I mean, that's that's an unforced error on Dracula's part because he should have turned to mist. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's true. I didn't even think about that. I mean, not to take away from what is very much a cool moment in that fight. Like, but Dracula should have turned to mist. Yep. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I, uh, like I said, I enjoyed the team being together. Um, I liked that we got to see a little bit more of, of Quincy's gadgets, the networking, um, near the end, uh, he has the wooden stake inside his cane or or, like, is that the, is it a cane? I can't tell. Yeah, it's a cane. Yeah. he, He pulls a stake out of the cane. Although, why he really needs a cane when he's in a wheelchair. Right. Um, I will say, the ending is effective. It, like, that last page works really well. Um, but it would have been even more effective if we had gotten to spend more time getting to know Quincy and Edith. Yes. She's only kind of made two appearances on panel yeah. up to this point. Yeah. And when we first met her, we're like, oh! She's going to be a hostage. She's going to be a victim. And we were, we were right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I feel like if we had had an issue or two more uh, that ha- that featured more than just cameos from the team, mm-hmm. um, that this would have hit a little harder. I don't think Edith's death is effective as, say, like, Genie's. No, no. Although, I, I will say this is probably the best Marv Wolfman issue yet. And as it seems to be, the the issues keep seem to keep on getting better. Right. As it goes along. And he's sort of shaping the structure and the cast of characters to fit his style and his interests. And mm-hmm. I think this, this issue is sort of part of that. I would agree. It, it just it it does seem slightly to be similar to the thing with genie genie's death earlier on in the series yeah. uh it, it it's sad for harker and i'd be interested to see how things pan out after this yeah um like i guess my thing is i under like i totally feel like the emotion of harker's reaction but because we've not gotten to see all these people together all that much, Frank's reaction doesn't make as much sense. No. And, okay, let's rewind a little bit to the fight between Blade and Dracula. Oh yeah, that's fun. It's fun, but... Okay. He should not have been able to cut his face with a wooden knife. Right. There's no reason that would it should have been super effective against him. Right, that's not how the weakness to wooden stakes works. No. The wooden now, stake can bind now like them. If it was if it was like a silver crucifix, yes. maybe. Or a silver which, knife. Right. Which I you know, that's something that the movie blade gets right, is they did a like they ditched the wooden weapons gimmick and said everything is silver. Yeah. Which makes a lot more sense. It does. It's... 
it just, it bugged me, because that was my first thought. Like, oh, that shouldn't have worked. Yeah. And they've sort of played fast and loose with what Marvel's version of vampire mythology is. But this seems especially fast and loose. Yeah, but it just makes Dracula really weak, honestly. I mean, it makes him Alan Scott. <laughs> oh. Too much of a too much of a deep cut. Uh, no, no, that's that's perfect. <laughs> I, I just was not expecting that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, for the listeners who who didn't pick up on that, uh, Alan Scott is the Golden Age Green Lantern. Um, and in the Golden Age, Green Lantern was not weak against the color yellow. He was weak against wood. Yep. <laughs> as, as most human beings are when confronted with a baseball bat. Yeah, it's like... like all the jokes have been made. Yep. But, but yeah, that, that it's, it's unfortunate. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Up to that point, the action of that fight scene is really cool. Like, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, like, the way Blade just, like, bursts through the the door with, like, pieces of, or is it the floor? He, like, pieces of wood are just flying everywhere. Yeah, and that there's actually a cool scene earlier in the book, also involving a wooden blade, where, as Blade's leaving to go confront Dracula, because... Uh, Dracula's call has interrupted a intimate oh, moment yeah. between Saffron and himself. She throws a wooden blade at the door be- behind Blade. Yeah, like pretty accurately too. Like, right? Maybe, maybe Blade should have taken her with him. Although I will ask, where did she pull that wooden blade from? Because <laughs> she's yeah. she's sta- she, she's sitting there in a nighty. I mean, my guess would be Blade keeps one under the pillow. That makes sense. Like Bond and his gun, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Because they're really sort of pushing Blade as kind of a vampire hunter James Bond. Quite effectively, I'd say. Yeah. Which, um, if the, if that's the way they go with the MCU version of Blade, I'd be okay with it. I'm here for it. And again, it, you know, it, the more you, the more I think about Blade, like, originally being written as British, the more that makes sense. It does. Although he doesn't talk as though he's British. No, he, he jive talks. He, he, he is a black exploitation character. Which is fine. Oh, okay. Sure. I, let me define what I mean by fine. I enjoy black exploitation films in the way that they are hokey but also they they are empowering sure i think well and there's sort of speaking as a white guy there's sort of two different modes that they operate in there are the ones that featured directors writers like creators of color and those tended to be more independent films um like uh sweet sweetback and shaft and stuff like that um and then you've got the ones that the major studios started to make to cash in on the fact that this trend was popular, those tend to be a little more offensive. Yes. And this definitely feels like the former. Yeah, I mean, 
even I mean they are definitely cashing in on a trend, but they're not being uh, deliberately disrespectful or anything. No, it's nowhere near as bad as say like that Marvel team up issue. Right. Yeah, that was rough. With with the two brothers, and it's just yeah. like, uh, is there no way you could think to frame these two individuals? Yeah. Except for yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, speaking of the art. Um, oh no! Wait, even worse. Oh, that man thing yeah. issue. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's hit or miss with Marvel sometimes when it comes to uh, depictions of of people of color in the seventies. Yep. Um, but I think Blade is probably one of their more successful creations, even though he's not quite the Blade that most of us would recognize yet. No. But that's okay. We love him. I, 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 the more I read it, the more I read this comic, though, the more I start to dig those green shades. Yeah, you know, it. he doesn't look like Wesley Snipes out of his film, but I'm not hating the the version of blade we're seeing here he's not all matrixed out right right and uh which it's funny because blade predates the matrix you're right he does the matrix was bladed out (laughs) but uh, he he looks more comfortable in these clothes yeah well and it's i mean it's very much in the mode of shaft you know like sort of the the red jacket and and the uh sometimes they look like goggles sometimes they look like sunglasses in fact there's a great bit a great look at blade on the top of page 17 where he's just leaning against a door frame talking to frank drake and there's so much emoted with with his stance there oh yeah like he is clearly the one in control of the situation yes his, even his stance says drake you are a goddamn idiot yeah and it's great yeah um, and even just, like, it's not a costume, you know? Like, that's just what he wears. Like, like you see him uh, when he's uh, leaving after the phone call, and, like, he's already wearing, like, the, the green shirt. He's just putting the, the jacket on over it. Yep. He's just like, okay, I'm going out. Yep. Gotta get my vampire hunting gear. Gonna kill some vamps. Yep. Um, one thing I do really like... Uh, on uh, the last page of it, we were, we were talking about uh, the death of Edith. Um, I think it's a very effective and very restrained depiction of her staking. Like where you get just the single panel that's uh, red and white. Yes. I like that. It kind of, it does, it's very 70s. It is. Um, but but it, it's... It tells you exactly what's ha- happening without being, like, unnecessarily explicit. Yes. It- it's well done. Yeah. It- it's the sort of thing you would expect to see in, like, an older horror movie. When when the- they were less about the gore. Yes. Uh, but that's really the only sort of artistic flourish that stands out. I mean, it's not that the art is bad. It's good. Um, but it's sort of consistently good in the way that this book has been for a while. Yeah, it, it, it's, it was a really enjoyable issue. It had a lot of weight to it. Mm-hmm. It moves the story forward in some interesting ways. It's interesting how we 
begin. Like, like the sort of back and forth of who is hunting who in the issue changes a couple times. Um, which is nice. So I feel like that's sort of the push and pull that this book needs. Because when your title character is technically a villain, like, you've got to have that back and forth of um, the heroes hunting him, him hunting the heroes, so on. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end the issue. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and put a stake in it. <laughs> and we'll be right back with Strange Tales number 169, Brother Voodoo. Are you troubled by stale podcasts in the middle of the night? Do you love films that feature the busting of spooks, specters, or ghosts? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Ghostbusters Resurrection is an RPG audio drama combining tabletop gaming and cinematic paranormal elimination adventures. Call the professionals at nerdyshow.com slash ghostbusters. We're ready to believe you. It's a matter of life. It's a matter of death. It's a matter of a beautiful Italian spy, seven killers, a voodoo witch doctor, a living corpse, a gorgeous double agent, 12 cars, five planes, 10 acres of land, a wedding reception, a double-decker bus, a fleet of speedboats, a sea of crocodiles, the beautiful sorceress named Solitaire, a man with a steel arm, and a retired Navy LST, all against one man. My name's Bond. James Bond. Roger Moore is James Bond, 007. In Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die, 007 is on a worldwide manhunt, and the body count is going up. It's livelier. It's deadlier. It's Roger Moore as James Bond, 007, in Live and Let Die. From United Artists, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Live and Let Die. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our next issue today is Strange Tales, number 169. Cover date is September 1973. The title is Brother Voodoo. It's written by Lynn Ween and Roy Thomas. Pencils by Gene Colan. Inks are by Dan Adkins and John Romita. The colorist is Glennis Ween. Uh, letterer is John Costanza. And the editor is Roy Thomas. On a humid night... A jet lands at Port-au-Prince, Haiti, delivering Dr. Maitland to a Mr. Willoughby to do some sort of important work for the United Nations. Before they can depart by car, they are attacked by men who oppose their work. The attack is quickly interrupted by the sound of drums and the dramatic arrival of Brother Voodoo. He uses his mystic powers to dispatch the attackers and introduces himself to Dr. Maitland, before flashing back to his own return to Haiti not long ago, when he was merely Dr. Jericho Drum. At first, it seems not much has changed since his childhood, until he is attacked not far from his own family's home. He repels the assault and is greeted by his Aunt Matilda, who is caring for the subject of his visit, his ailing brother, Daniel. Daniel is the Hungan of the village, but came into conflict with a mystic rival, the serpent god, Dambala. Dambala has amassed support throughout the area with his dark magic. When Daniel dared strike him, the serpent god cursed him to die at midnight. Disbelieving such superstitions, 
Jericho tries to use his medical training to cure his brother, but uh, just before death, Daniel makes Jericho promise to seek out Papa Jumbo, whose magic might be powerful enough to counter Dambala. Upon Daniel's death, Jericho angrily tries to attack Dambala, but is savagely beaten down, and Dambala suggests that the real reason Jericho left Haiti to become a doctor was because Daniel's status as Hungan was Jericho's birthright, a birthright that Jericho rejected out of fear and shame. Furious, Jericho ventures into the jungle carrying his brother's corpse. Along the way, he is attacked by a boa constrictor sent by the serpent god. Undaunted, Jericho arrives at the home of Papa Jumbo. Jumbo refuses to go to the village to fight Dambala, saying that his days of defending causes are over. Instead, he has Jericho put on his brother's Hungan vestments so that Jericho can be trained as the new Brother Voodoo. So, as much as people rag on Brother Voodoo, this was a really good issue. I mean, it's a solid, uh, it's part one, so I, 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 we'll get the rest of the origin next time, I guess. Um, the next time we get an issue of of, uh, of Strange Tales. But this is a solid beginning, for sure. Yeah, it's it it's actually very cinematic, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's... And it's sort of hitting a lot of the same notes as uh, the Doctor Strange origin, just in terms of medical doctor skeptical of magic um, gets pulled into mystic things. Okay. But um, a, with with the relationship to the brother and the idea that this was somehow his birthright in the past and he rejected it, like there, there's some different kinds of pathos. I do like that he doesn't have like an antagonistic relationship with his brother. Yeah. Like, like they're, they've been out of contact, but not, like, malicious. No. Yeah. And, like, everyone in the family is happy to see, which is nice. Yes. Um, and, you know, uh, we were talking about representation and uh, some of the uh, uh, phonetic spellings of uh, Haitian accents leave a little to be desired. Yeah. Like, that's not ideal. But one of the things I like about this era of Marvel, the horror, the on, the integration of horror into the marvel universe is i like mm-hmm. that it also coincides with the integration of people of color into the marvel universe that's true um i will also say uh i really like both the cover and the splash page oh yeah i definitely think this is our cover image for this episode um like you've got uh, just a lot going on there but it makes brother voodoo look powerful cool heroic mysterious um it works for me. Uh, and same with the splash page. The splash page where he's standing uh, in front of the drums with the fire behind him, uh, the snakes on his wrists. Like, it, it's a cool image. Yes, it is. Um, seems a little inconsistent as to whether he wears a cape or not. Well, at one point he does throw the cape off. He, he I see it in the background now. Yeah, there's a panel where he, th- like, after he appears, he throws the cape off. Yes. So he it's there for entrances, which is great. He's got... Yeah, well, I... It, you know, it makes sense, because if you're getting into a hand-to-hand fight with a group where some of them could be behind you, you don't want something they can grab and pull. Yes, and then his servant, or whoever that is, we don't know yet, on page 11, is oh, putting it back on. Um, You mean time-traveling Samuel L. Jackson from Django Unchained? <laughs> oh, God. Because that that is 100% Samuel L. Jackson from from uh, Django Unchained. Oh, it is. Like, look at the the his first appearance next to Brother Voodoo, and tell me that's not Samuel L. Jackson. He has had enough of this shit. 
Oh, damn. Uh, yep. But all of that said, um, that fight is a lot of. You get a taste of Brother Voodoo's powers. But yeah, I, I think this uh, fight scene uh, that introduces us to Brother Voodoo is really effective. You know, you get a sense of his power. Um, his mysticism. I love the way that he's sort of uh, preceded by the drums. Um, and it, it doesn't, like, go into a lot of detail about what his abilities are, but you get a sense of him being pretty significantly powerful. Yeah, and honestly, again, as much as this character gets derided and made fun of, this first outing is a good outing for him. He feels yeah. a niche that was there. Yeah, and, and yeah, like, uh, there, there's room for... Uh, more mystic character, you know, um, mm-hmm. particularly people of color, because comics were in desperate need of those. Yeah, I keep on in my head comparing it to the Living Mummy uh, issue. Yeah, which we still haven't gotten the conclusion to. Right, still working on. Yeah, it. but I feel like this is better than that. This is better than that, but maybe not better than the Blade introduction. If we're talking about black horror characters, horror heroes that we've been introduced to so far yeah yeah um and and it's worth noting um part of the mockery of brother voodoo comes from um the the cartoons drawn by fred himbeck in marvel age uh in the which sort of depicted him as this sort of hapless character that's always trying and failing to get a solo story and apparently according to himbeck later uh he uh only made fun of brother voodoo because he had gotten the character confused with uh, DC character Brother Power the Geek. Oh, wow. Which is a fascinating failed Silver Age character, but is definitely not Brother Voodoo. True. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, as an origin story, this one does pretty much all the things that it needs to. Um, Gene Colan's art is very good, um, and thankfully manages to avoid caricaturing the Haitians. True. You know, like like the, the dialogue isn't always as good as it could be but but the art treating the subject matter fairly which i appreciate yeah it, again we go we come back to the idea of uh, is this black exploitation or not and i think it definitely plays on the trend of introducing black characters into this era but it's not done terribly now a black reader uh, might have a different perspective here sure i i guarantee that what is depicted in this story has almost nothing to do with actual haitian spiritual practices okay probably not i mean so and that that's just that is a function of this is a story about a haitian mystic being told by two white guys in the 70s you know which i mean sort of taken on that level they they are not deliberately offensive you know like like they whether whether it is right or wrong to just make up stuff about a culture, like, you know? There are a few terms in there that are accurate. Sure. Now, if they are using them correctly or not... Who knows? I, I don't yeah. know. Um, I, I'm not qualified to, to say. But just in terms of sort of pathos and character development, I think the arc that we get here of Jericho Drum is effective and and makes me want to read with the character it does i I agree and i i definitely want to see more of the character and i'm curious to see where he goes off the rails if he goes off the rails at all right or or is it just that he just like it this 
try out in, in Strange Tales just didn't generate enough interest to continue a solo run. Possible. Um, one thing I uh, I will say is, uh, was it Dambala, the, the villain? A uh, little bit of a snake dance vibe here. Kind of worries me. Yeah, but I think he's done a little bit better in a snake dance. He, he is. He is. I just I, don't I, think... I saw a guy with snakes wrapped around his arms, and I got real worried. Because I've been down... Yeah. We've been down that road, and it did not end well. In fact, it still has not ended. No, it hasn't. You're right. It is still ongoing. Right. God help us. Yep. Thankfully, not in this episode, but but that that is that is something that we are going to have to deal with. In the... Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean... Uh, Speaking of the future... I think we should maybe I... take a break. Yeah, take a quick break, and we'll come right back with Werewolf by Night number nine, Terror Beneath the Earth. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about Cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. <laughs> Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. There has never been a more savage motion picture than raw meat. <laughs> Beneath modern London, buried alive in plague-ridden tunnels, lives a tribe of once humans, the raw meat of the human race. But how could they survive so long without food? I imagine as each one died, the others ate him. They were like raw meat, a sinister evil that festered for generations in its moldering tomb. Neither men nor women even less than animals. Their strange hunger driving them to prey on the young and the strong. Raw meat, rated R, under 17, not admitted without a parent. There has never been a more savage motion picture than raw meat. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. My name is James Hickson. Our last issue for this episode is werewolf by night number nine the title is terror beneath the earth writer is jerry conway penciler is tom sutton inker is tom sutton colorist is george russos letterer is tom sutton editor is roy thomas and lynn ween so i didn't actually write a summary for this one guys so i'm just gonna wing it jack russell is running through the streets of los angeles seemingly being pursued by an unseen creature lurking in the sewers. He is able to escape the creature, but wakes up the next morning in the local drunk tank. He is bailed out by his stepfather and his sister Liza. Jack and his stepfather have an argument, and after 
Jack storms up to his room, he is attacked by another sewer creature. While that's happening, the full moon rises and he again transforms into the werewolf. He pursues the sewer creatures, the sewer people it would seem, down to the sewers where he is confronted by their leader, Sarnok. Sarnok uses a special instrument to compel Jack Russell to obey. And once the werewolf is under his sway, they take to the streets of Los Angeles in a riot. And Jack's sister Liza is taken hostage in the fray. So, um, not a whole lot happens here. Yeah, I didn't feel that guilty about not having a summary for yeah, this issue. Yeah, I mean, and, and frankly, uh, the, the villain, the, the person that the werewolf fights in the opening of the issue, like... It's kind of a shame that because I, I think he has a really cool design, but he's kind of wasted on an underling that we probably won't see much of after the next issue or so. No, he kind of has a Phantom of the Opera kind yeah, of thing going yeah, he, for him. Sort of uh, like an old timey actor look. Yeah, um, and I like like the the scarf over his face and the hat, the the big sort of ruff around his neck. But yeah, it's definitely a, a distinctive look. But that's kind of where I thought they were going with this. They were going for a Phantom of the Opera yeah. thing. But it ended up being a bit more like that Batman the Animated Series episode that no one ever th- talks about. <laughs> yeah. You know the one I'm talking about. Um, the, guy, the one where the guy in the sewers is kidnapping homeless people and forcing them to yep. work for him. Yeah. You know he's kidnapping children. Like yeah, yeah, he is kidnapping children. Yeah, because it's basically... like In fact, this is that, but with adults, but also a little bit of the Pied Piper. Because yeah. they're controlled through sound. Because he does have an instrument that he's yeah. using. Um, and part of me is like, is he an alien? I don't know. Um, so, I will say this. Um, sort of spoilers, I guess. Um, but uh, uh, the committee that's teased at the end of the issue, we're, we're going to okay. be seeing a whole lot more of that. Oh, fun. Like, werewolves finally got like a legit like nemesis. Okay. Well, that's kind of nice, because it's, it's good that the story is going in a certain yeah. direction. Um, I will say, my favorite part of this entire issue is on the second page, when uh, Lynn and Glennis Ween drive through. Yep, yep, I, I noticed that too. They, they, uh... Because they, they is... made the mistake of taking their vacation in California. You know what, let, let, let's do a quick traumatization, <laughs> shall okay. we? I'll play the okay. role of Glynis, and you can be my husband, okay. Lynn. <laughs> Lynn, wasn't that... Wasn't that Don't a... Don't say it, honey. Wasn't that a werewolf? I told you not to say that, Glynis. And I told you we shouldn't have take our vacation in California bunch of weirdos in this town this has been another episode of tomb of ideas theater (laughs) acting we're wasted on podcasting we were meant for the stage (laughs) Uh, but yeah no that's a fun little moment um there are some honestly genuinely images um with sort of phantom of the opera type guy like peeking out from under sewer grates and things. Yeah. Like, like, I really do like a lot of the visuals in that early stuff. There's some interesting use of underground, above-ground imagery. Uh, the cover does it. I don't really like the cover, but the cover does something similar. But there's uh, uh, the top of page three, 
does something like that too. I honestly think this is the best Tom Sutton artwork seen since, well, since we've started seeing Tom Sutton's artwork in the book. I agree. I, I think he's, I, these new characters that are being controlled by Sarnok are, seem like something that he's enjoying drawing. Like he, he gives them sort of a distinct look that creepy and effective and and makes for an interesting foil to the world. But even like the landscapes, while we kind of talked about how his work on Ghost Rider kind of seemed wooden, uh, the the landscapes seem to be like dripping with wet mm-hmm. and grime yeah. in this one, which is it's a nice change. It is. It is. And it's a different look for LA than we're yes. used. Although I still miss Mike Plug on a Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are times when it feels like corners are being cut a little bit. Um, things that, uh, that would normally be a little more fleshed out with detail. Um, and this is not the penciler's fault, but also things that would have been maybe fully colored in are instead just single color. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're missing a lot of detail that way. It kind of seems, it does seem like this issue might've been rushed because they're kind of like slapping a color on and just going. Yeah. Especially on backgrounds and, and, uh, Things that are already sort of stylized, and so you can sort of get away with it. For instance, with the, this character uh, that he's fighting at the beginning of the book, if you look on page five, his face is colored the same as his scarf. Yeah, yeah. Like, it looks like he's wearing a mask. Yes, which I don't think is the intention. Right, right. Or even um, the bottom of page eight, where uh, Jack the werewolf is having, like, a nightmare and so all these creatures are sort of swarming around him, and it's all just sort of yellow. Yeah, yeah. It's it leaves something to be desired. Yeah, it, it's okay, but but it, it does feel like we're missing some detail that might have been in the original. Although I am happy we get more with the stepfather and Liza. You you Although mean an... you mean plot and character development? Yeah, I know it's amazing. And and the lieutenant shows up again. Yes, like like it, it's actually like. Pieces feel like they're falling yes. into... Yes, but something I will... There's... So Jack finally meets Lieutenant Hackett, mm-hmm. and... Not a fan. Hackett doesn't... Sorry? He's not a fan. No, they, they don't... They do not get along. Although Hackett doesn't look like he did before, which is upsetting, because he kind of had a Steve Rogers kind of thing going. Yeah. Yeah, his hair looks weird yeah, in this hair. issue. Yes, it does. It's like... It looks like he got a perm. Yes. That it's at least very wavy. Yeah. I'm not sure what the intention was there. Yeah. But it, it it's fine. It's fine, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> but but yeah, like uh I don't know. It's interesting the way that things are sort of closing in around Jack with the lieutenant coming in from one way and Philip, the stepfather, coming in from the other way, and now this Sarnock guy coming at the werewolf. Like it does do a good job of sort of building the pressure on the character. Well, Speaking of the stepfather, there's a scene here where they have a confrontation after the stepfather picks Jack up from jail. And, I mean, the stepfather is really milking this, too. Yeah. He's like, ah, I knew you were in trouble. I'm picking you up for the drunk take. You're wasting your life. You're wearing your sister. You're running around naked. And he's over here. Yeah, he's over here with a pipe and an ascot. Right. Yeah, like, he is clearly enjoying being the sole inheritor of... Uh, Jack's mom's, uh, or at least the executor, right? Well, I, I guess he makes it pretty it, clear it, that Jack's. Yeah, mom. I suppose he's the executor of the will until like Jack reaches age twenty-one, right? Because he's already eighteen. Right. But there's a confrontation here between Jack and the stepfather, and at the bottom of page twelve, he's talking about cut it, pop. 
I could care less about mom's money. And I feel, so if you want it so much, take it. Take it all. And I feel like he missed the opportunity there to say, that's what you killed her for after all. Mm-hmm. I feel like that should have been a confrontation between the two. I feel, I feel like that he's that angry. Yeah. Because um, he definitely thinks before yes. the fight. Like, definitely like we it. get that in a cat. So, I, I honestly don't see why we are, why he's dragging his feet. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of Hamlet syndrome, I guess. Also, do we think that the committee had Jack's mother killed? I... And that they are the mysterious individuals contacting his stepfather early on? I do not know. I've actually not read a lot of the immediate following up uh, issues of Werewolf by Night. Um... Like I say, I know they become an ongoing thing, and that they also show up in some other books. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but that that's an interesting idea. That that would be that would be a fun twist if it turns out that Philip is somehow uh, indebted to or in cahoots with the committee. It would make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's sort of a shame. Uh, Sarnok's design is nowhere near as interesting as his minions' design. No. Like, those should have been flipped. Like, that minion at the beginning? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. He, he would have been such a more interesting villain for us to go against. And it kind of ties into the the Phantom of the Opera type thing. Because yeah. I don't think Sarnok's face thing is a mask, except maybe it is. Right, right. There are some close-ups where it looks like it might be, like, some cloth. But then in some of the, like, more distant images, it's like there's more facial features. I don't know. It's weird. It, it, it's it's a mixed bag. It's again, we're, it feels like we're losing a lot of detail because of the color. Yeah, again, it feels like we are getting an issue that may have been rushed in. Like it may have been under deadline and behind yeah. schedule, but it's fine. I don't dislike it. Um, nah. Not as good as the Brother Voodoo story. Definitely nowhere near as good as the Dragon. Nowhere near. No, um, but it, it's Definitely not. you know it's. It's what happens when you tell a werewolf by night story and don't even bother to mention Buck Cohen. True. Buck Cohen does not make a single appearance in a story. And really, if Jack had had his werewolf laws, it would have been Buck Cohen getting him out of prison. Right? And you know damn well Buck Cohen wouldn't have cared if he was half naked. Well, it's how he prefers him. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I think that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always do so. The email address is tombofideas at gmail.com. We're also also reachable on our Twitter, at Tomb of Ideas. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas. Uh, uh, Trey? Yes, mm-hmm. uh, we are part of the Cinepunks podcasting group, um, which is also home to a lot of other great shows. Uh, the flagship Cinepunks show, uh, Horror Business... Black Sun Dispatches, Wine and Cheese, and lots more. Um, Cinepunks also does a lot of great prose, uh, written uh, film film and music stuff, pop culture in general. Um, and uh, as we head into uh, September and October, uh, we're going to be uh, starting up our sort of annual Cineween celebration. There will be all kinds of posts and recordings and uh, musings about the Halloween season and horror movies and all kinds of spooky stuff. So uh, make sure you check out Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with a Z. Or, sorry, Cinepunks with an X. Uh, and uh, give that a look because we, we put a lot of work into that stuff and it's always a lot of fun uh, during the Halloween. And Trey, why don't you go ahead and tell the lovely listeners what we'll be talking about next week. Um, next time, we'll be looking at Dracula Lives number three. 
and Amazing Spider-Man 125. Oh, oh, oh God. James, James, it's okay. James, James, it's okay. Here, here, here. Um, it's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna queue up uh, Homecoming again. We're gonna watch Homecoming. We're gonna watch Spider-Man and Tony Stark. Be okay. It's okay, James. Spider-Man's not going anywhere. He loves us three thousand. I, 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 I really need to take care of this, guys. Uh, please, uh, if you uh, want to write into us, give us your feedback. Until next time, Tomb Believers, Excelsior. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Believers, Excelsior. Ha 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 